0: G'day everyone. Welcome back to the SpudFit podcast, the uh, the world's most infrequent podcast at the moment. <laughs> it's uh, life gets in the way, you know, but, and uh, and I haven't published too many podcasts lately. But uh, when you get the chance to speak to someone like Ocean Robbins, you don't pass it up. So I, uh, I jumped at that chance, and uh, and you're going to hear that conversation in a minute. Uh, I am working on trying to get this podcast happening more regularly, but uh, you know. I'm a, I'm a, I've got kids and I've got a wife and they're all excuses, whatever. You don't need to hear about that. Now, Ocean Robbins. I was first introduced to the Robbins family through uh, Ocean's father who wrote the uh, amazing book, uh, The Diet for a New America. Uh, and that was John Robbins, by the way. And now uh, I've followed Ocean's uh, progress and his, uh, his story, better way to say it. Uh, for quite a while now and I've been a big fan this guy's a revolutionary he's uh, he's he's uh, fronting a global movement for for good health and he's a uh, he's a really good guy to talk to he's bubbly he's vibrant uh, he's got a new book that's just been released it's called 31 day food revolution hear your body feel great and transform your world so check that out uh, this guy is uh, is a really inspiring guy he's a motivational guy and uh, and he's hell bent on making changes and seeing you and the whole world get healthy. So I'm not going to tell you too much about him other than he is the grandson of the founder of Baskin Robbins ice cream. Can you believe that? (laughs) And, uh, and he's obviously, like I said, the son of the uh, the amazing John Robbins. So a little bit of background there, but you're going to learn a lot more about him during the podcast. So let's not muck around. Let's just get into it. I hope you guys are well. Enjoy the podcast all right ocean robbins welcome to the podcast thank you for joining us my pleasure andrew thanks so much all right, I start off uh, all of my interviews with the same question for everyone and it's, uh, it's, I just like to see how people answer it. So the first question as always is, uh, who is Ocean Robbins?
1: <laughs> Ocean Robbins is a crazy guy who is bold and audacious enough to think that we can change the world and who recognizes that we change the world starting with the part we are most responsible for, which is that which is inside of our own skin. Uh, so Ocean Robbins looks at how food is a doorway that connects us to everything on the planet. And if we want to be healthy, then we can vote f- with our food choices for the future we want for our bodies and for our planet. All right. Great answer.
0: That's uh, yeah. Uh, oh, like I said, I always love hearing how people answer that because, you know, some people answer it in a philosophical way. Some people answer it in, uh in a you know a more sort of general like what I do with my time kind of way and uh and your answer was sort of a combination of everything so yeah interesting so uh yeah so you you're uh, you've had an interesting childhood I've, I've uh I've followed your your dad a lot more than I have you uh until until more recently uh and you know, through uh, reading his book, which I've, I'm drawing a mental blank now, Diet for a New America. That was uh, there you go. That was one of the few, uh, one of the very first books I read about nutrition. So, uh, so yeah, I've sort of come to you through him. But I, I imagine, uh, I imagine childhood with uh, with John Robbins as a father was a, an interesting childhood. So, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. Well, I mean, as you know, my grandpa founded Baskin Robbins ice cream company and. My dad, John, grew up with an ice cream cone-shaped swimming pool in the backyard and 31 <laughs> flavors of ice cream in the freezer, and he was groomed to one day join in running the family company, um, but then when he was in his early 20s, he was offered that chance, and he said no, and he, pack- he walked away from a path that was practically paved with gold and ice cream to, <laughs> as, we, as we jokingly say in our family, follow his own rocky road. And, <laughs> I ended up moving with my mom to a little island off the coast of Canada where they built the one-room log cabin and grew most of their own food and lived off of uh, kale and and uh, practiced yoga and meditation for several hours a day and, and named their kid Ocean. <laughs> now, they almost named me Kale, and I have to say I'm kind of glad they took the conservative <laughs> route with my name and chose Ocean instead. Um, but, but we did eat a lot of kale. And, uh, you know, as I was, like, got a little older, we got into running, actually, um, and... Um, my dad was my coach and I ran my first marathon when I was 10 years old. And uh, and then uh, when I was 14, my dad came out with his first book, Diet for New America, which inspired millions of people to look at their food choices as a chance to make a difference in the world. The response was enormous. And um, so, you know, as, as the book was spreading and around the world, um, one of its readers, as fate would have it, turned out to be my grandpa. Now, here's where the story gets kind of fascinating. Uh, See, my my dad's uncle, Bert Baskin, my grandpa's brother-in-law and business partner, had died of a heart heart disease and a heart attack at the age of 54. And uh, so my grandpa was now kind of following in his footsteps. And in his early 70s, he was kind of on death's door when his doctor Handed him a copy of Diet for New America and said uh-huh. that if he wanted to live, he'd better read it and follow its advice. So my grandpa did, and uh, he, got, he got results. Um, he not only read the book, but he gave up most of his animal products. He gave up ice cream. He gave up sugar. He started right. eating a lot more vegetables and whole plant foods, and he got con- tremendous results. He reversed diabetes, he reversed heart disease. He lost thirty pounds that he needed to lose, and his golf game improved seven strokes. Wow. He ended up living another nineteen more healthy years. And uh, as he got better, he was able to go for hikes every morning. And I remember visiting uh, him uh, one winter, and my dad and I went out for a morning run, and my grandpa's out for a morning walk with his dog. And we pass him, and we're you know we wave, and he's cheering us on as we run by. And I'm thinking, this is what this is what healthy food can do, you know, in every family. We learn how we can uh, how we can transform our um, lives by making certain food choices, and we learn that that healthy food can be a doorway towards connection and towards vitality in every generation. Yeah, so,
0: yeah. Sorry, keep going. Go go on. Yeah, um, it's just it's amazing how uh, to me that the first point about about your father. Um, just having the bravery and you know the guts to step away from you know a seemingly you know the 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 path paved with gold, as you say, and right. uh, step away from that and uh, and take a that's a huge risk. It's you know it's a uh, it's uh, it's it's a massive sacrifice and a huge risk and uh, and it's uh, it's an, it's incredible bravery and I'm I'm curious about how you think perhaps that sort of attitude to life has has rubbed off on you or if it has or not. Oh, you
1: bet. Sure. Absolutely. Well, I mean, when I was 16, I founded a nonprofit organization called Yes. And we traveled uh, the U.S. speaking to high school assemblies, mobilizing young people to speak up for healthy people on a healthy planet. Uh, Sort of an environmental organization with a strong uh, health theme. So we looked at food choices a lot. And, uh, and then we started organizing week-long events for young leaders around the world. And I wound up working with leaders in over 65 countries. And uh, so I've spoken in person to more than 650,000 people and organized events all over the globe. One thing that I saw in directing that nonprofit for 20 years was that everybody eats. And uh, what we're eating is having this huge impact. I saw as, as I traveled the globe that uh, the United States, where I live, was exporting ways of growing food with pesticides and herbicides and fungicides and artificial fertilizers and GMOs. We were exporting ways of processing food with uh, with factories. We were exporting ways of selling food with KFC and McDonald's and Baskin-Robbins, spreading all over the globe. And, and as this was happening, waistlines were expanding and hospitals were filling up and People were getting sick and frankly economies were buckling under the strain of rising healthcare costs just like ours is here in the United States where I live. And as I saw this, I felt this growing sense of urgency to to try to say to the world, please don't follow us. You know, we know where this path leaves. My country, the United States, 19% of our gross domestic product is going to disease symptom management. You know, we have more people who are chronically ill than any population in the history of the world. Two thirds of us are overweight or obese. And this is all because of what we're eating, first and foremost, bottom line. And so eventually I decided after 20 years of directing the global nonprofit to join with my dad and focus directly on the food issue. And we launched Food Revolution Network to do that. And we've grown rapidly and we now have over half a million members. And our goal is you know, healthy, ethical and sustainable food for everyone who eats. So yeah, I think you could say that I'm a little audacious and um, my whole life I've been asking, how the heck can I make the biggest difference I can? I, I think we all recognize that we live in a world where there's this gap between the way we want the world to be and the way that it actually is. And I don't care what your political perspective is, what your religious or faith background is, you know, I think we could probably all agree on that that there's a gap between what we think is possible for humanity and what we see happening right now. And and I would submit to you that part of our purpose in life is to bridge that gap so that we make the world a little more beautiful, a little more healthy, a little more more, uh, wholesome for our being here. And that's certainly my intention. And in Food Revolution Network, I'm committed to helping people to do that in their lives. To, to live the food revolution, I think we have a toxic food culture and I'm interested in helping turn it around.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a, uh, I just love everything about this conversation so far that uh, I really relate to it because, you know, when I decided to get a hold of the way I was eating and change the way that I ate and just focus solely on that, I didn't have any, anything uh, outside of that that I wanted to change. It was, it was all about just changing my relationship with food and the way I ate. And, and I had no idea before I did that, that it would really drastically affect every other area of my life. It was, and without that's effort, you have to you know, focus on improving anything else. It just happened on its own. And um, so I think that out the, the apartment next door to us, where I live in a small apartment, there's one right next door to us that's been empty for two months and the movers have just turned up. <laughs> so so it's like the it's everything's happening today for the listeners (laughs) our internet dropped out at home right before this interview started so we're doing this through my mobile hotspot and now the movers next door have turned up so we might get some interruptions with noise so I, i apologize for that but um i also loved what you what you said about how uh you know no matter what side of politics you're coming from or what side of life you're coming from everybody basically just wants a good world to live in and we all we we differ on the best way to make that happen and um and i think food is is a perfect way to sort of bridge the divide because everyone can agree that it's it's eating a healthy diet is a is a good idea you know so uh, in a way i think this is it's also works as a bridge between you know opposing viewpoints of life and uh and yeah, there's a. I talk to a lot of people through the work that I'm doing now, and uh, and I again, it's it's a reflection of what you were saying that I was a teacher, and and I saw a way that I could try to perhaps have a bigger impact on the world than I could as a teacher, and I decided to just take that chance and have a go at it and do this uh, this whole SpudFit thing, and um, and and yeah, it's it's. Uh, it's really interesting to me to be able to spend some time connecting with all different walks of life from all over the world, instead of just 30 kids in front of me in a classroom, all from the same sort of, uh, social and geographic area. And now I'm connecting with people with, you know, I'm working with people that are Trump supporters and I'm working with people that are Democrats and I'm working with people who support the Brexit movement and people who don't. And, you know, um, I'm connecting with people of all different um, persuasions and political ideas, and it's amazing to me how all of these people can come together into this one group and, and get along and and um, and share, you know, healthy ideas and and help each other to succeed. And yeah, so I know, I'm waffling a bit now, but I love the way that this uh, this food revolution network can can do that. And uh, and what's been your experience with that? I guess is the the long. The short question at the end of the long question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, um, I think that uh, we live in a world that is becoming increasingly divided. Uh, we see people. Um, I mean, I heard recently about somebody who literally murdered his son because they had different views about you know protests and sitting at the national anthem. Um, you know, we have uh, even within families, certainly within communities. Uh, A lot of division, and in some ways, the polarities are growing more intense. And um, so, I think that when it comes to food, we have an incredible opportunity to bring people together. I mean, when you look at the political spectrum, I mean, I don't care whether you're a free market capitalist or a, you know, government intervention loving socialist. uh, We could all probably agree that the government subsidizing junk food is wrong. You know, we we don't want taxpayers to be footing the bill for tens of billions of dollars in subsidies that are making factory farmed animal products and high fructose corn syrup and wonder bread cheaper, essentially creating an unfair marketplace advantage and making it so that kale and broccoli and cabbage and whole grains and legumes are more expensive proportionally in the marketplace. Uh, At the end of the day, it's making it so that the poor are essentially condemned to nutritional disasters because people who have to go with the cheapest food are left with the junkiest food. And it doesn't have to be that way. So I think uh, at a political level, we can create change. At an individual level, we can recognize that food is one place where you don't have to wait for uh, political outcomes or economic outcomes in the world to go any particular way. You get to decide what you eat. And at the end of the day, that's one of the most important choices you can ever make. And you literally chart the course of your destiny with your knife and fork. So I'm all about giving people that power, that sense of self responsibility that comes with and the freedom that comes from knowing that you don't have to be at the mercy of pharmaceutical industry, of a medical industry, of a of a junk food industry that is intent on commercializing its products with your pocketbook. You get to decide how you want to live and what you want to eat and what you want to support and with your dollars you get to vote for the life in the future that you want and to me that's incredibly liberating and i see people from all kinds of different walks of life rich and poor and all different ethnic backgrounds and all different faith backgrounds rallying around food as an opportunity to take responsibility and to choose health
0: yeah and it is so empowering that you can literally change your world just by changing the way you eat and you can change your perception of the world at the same time just by putting different food in your body. It's incredible how that works. Um, now, the, the evolution, the next evolution of this whole uh, process for you is, uh, is a new book that you've got coming out. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. It's probably
1: my favorite topic right now. 31 Day Food Revolution, Heal Your Body, Feel Great and Transform Your World is my new book. And this is my stake in the ground for the food revolution that I think we desperately need in the world right now. And, uh, you know, um, it's, bro- it's broken into four parts. Part one is detoxify. And we look at the, the choices we can make to clean up our lives, our kitchens, our homes, our environment, so that we're not taking toxins in all the time. You know, sometimes people ask me, what do I think of detoxification methods of fasting and infrared saunas and chelation and and stress reduction techniques. And I say, you know what, they're all maybe useful, but at the end of the day, the best way to detoxify is to not bring the toxins in in the first place. So this book, (laughs) part one is getting rid of the bad stuff. And then part two is nourish. We look at how you can say yes to the good stuff, how you can saturate your body and your brain with the the micronutrients that you need to really truly thrive. So you can have everything you need to, to be lit up. And then part three is gather. Food is very social. It's a relational experience. Throughout history, breaking bread together, sharing a meal together has been an act of connection between people. And in today's isolated world where a lot of us feel some sense of loneliness or disconnection or longing for a greater sense of belonging, I believe that food, healthy food, can actually be a doorway to build bridges and bonds between people. So I'm sharing how you can take simple steps to deepen your healthy food community. So you have people that help you do the right thing, you have strong social network of support, to sustain and you can also be a positive influence on the people that you love. And then part four is transform. That's my favorite one because this is where we look at how after you get your own oxygen mask on first, we need to save the freaking plane. We need to create some change in the world so that it gets easier for everybody to do the right thing. And we look at how your food choices impact animals, impact the survival of the planet, impact children and the next generation and at how we can simply easily be a part of the solution. You know, there are so many problems in the world that can feel unconfrontable and overwhelming, whether it's climate change or war and peace or economic instability. So many issues that can feel overwhelming to most people. But when it comes to food choices and your health and the health of our planet, you can actually make an immense impact simply and easily. And it, it just so happens that the same food choices that help you to fight diabetes and heart disease and cancer and dementia and obesity are also the same food choices that help you to build a healthier planet with clean air and clean water and healthy topsoil and plenty of food for future generations. So I'd call that a win-win. And, <laughs> uh, I, that, and, and the, the other thing that's special about this book is that there's 31 chapters. Now, why 31, you may ask, because you know, Grant, my grandpa founded 31 Flavors Ice Cream, and at the end of the day, I submit to you that 31 steps towards health will give you more satisfaction even than 31 flavors of ice cream. (laughs) So 31 chapters, and each chapter ends with simple action steps you can take to put it into action. You know, at the end of the day, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, they don't care a heck of a lot how much you know, how many podcasts you listen to, how many books you read, but they do care what you eat. And so my passion is helping people to put that into action. So if you want to live a food revolution in your life, and if you want to live a food revolution in your world, if you want a stronger social connection, if you want to be a part of the solution, then this book is for you.
0: Yeah that sounds amazing and my next question was going to be uh why 31 and I, I assumed you would come back with some sort of scientific uh explanation of why 31 days is the optimum amount of time to change a habit or something like that but I love that it was about the uh <laughs> the ice cream that's great that <laughs> comes back to ice cream yeah <laughs> <laughs> no that's awesome so uh yeah my personally for me uh, I I in my experience, I, I knew a lot about uh, you know, a whole food, plant-based diet and I knew how I should be eating and I knew that you know, it, was, it was a pretty simple formula really. Whole food, plant-based eating, is, is the ideas are simple and I knew what I should be doing, but it took me a long time of trying and failing and I, just, I, I couldn't make it stick. And um, yeah, eventually I did through this potato thing that I did, that was my stepping stone into a whole food, plant-based diet and making it stick for the long term. Uh, obviously that's not for everyone, and I'm really curious about about how you approach that, because uh, I'm sure you've, you've dealt with a lot of people that have tried and failed. Failed is a bad word, I think, but for want of a better word, I'm, I'm using failed for now. But
1: yeah, yeah. so how
0: do, you, how do you approach those people that know what they should be doing, but, but just can't seem to do it consistently? Well,
1: the biggest reason that people fail, and I'm gonna put that in quotes, Is because of peer pressure and habits. Um, Most people that get excited about making a big change in their lives tend to slip back to old habits eventually, unless they're really able to submit new grooves. And that's part of why I think we need the gather and transform parts of my message so much, because we're not just isolated consumers, and most diet books and diet programs and food programs out there. Uh, act as if it was all about individual choice and willpower. But at the end of the day, uh, we're actually, we don't have much willpower. Human beings get about 15 minutes a day average of actual willpower. And most of the time, we're in some form of habits and grooves that are familiar. So the best use of your willpower is to create the habits that sustain. And like water, when it rains, it goes into grooves, it goes into gullies, it goes into creek beds and river beds. And over time, those get deeper and deeper. Um, but they start out with just the water going to the path of least resistance and kind of finding its way. And so you can create new pathways, you can dig them and it takes a bit of work. But once they're there, the water naturally goes there and they get deeper and deeper over time. So the key is to get yourself set up with healthy habits and with support networks that that help you sustain. Um, As far as actual nutrition, what I find is that uh, there is a lot of study out there telling us pretty convincingly but there are some really clear uh, directions we need to move as a society if we want to be healthier and we need to eat more whole plant foods and we need to eat more vegetables and more fiber and we need to eat less animal products in general and definitely less processed junk less sugar less bottled oils less refined carbs and uh and i think also conscious sourcing matters that you know pesticides are linked to cancer and endocrine disruption and birth defects and neurological issues. And so when we can choose to move away from pesticides and more towards organic, that matters too. It also matters uh, how food was grown from an ethical standpoint. If you like me don't want to see animals tortured in factory farms, then perhaps you don't want to eat meat that comes from them. If you like me don't want to see farmers dying in their 40s of cancer, then perhaps you don't want to eat Foods that were sp- growing in unethical conditions or sprayed with toxic pesticides with farmers not having the basic safety mechanisms they may need in order to, to survive in long term. So I think that we um, have uh, choices to make as consumers. And these are some of the directions I see us needing to move in. Less animal products, less processed sugars and junks. And junk, more whole plant foods, and more conscious sourcing. And that's, that's kind of the big, um, the big four that I focus on in my work. Now, we can learn from the Blue Zones, which are um, the places in the world where people have traditionally lived the longest and healthiest lives. Dan Buettner has cataloged them for National Geographic. And what we find in the Blue Zones is there are four main principles that that people practice there. They eat diets that are predominantly whole foods plant-based, not necessarily vegan, but they eat zero to 10% of their calories from animal products there, whereas we eat 34% calories from animal products in the US. Um, they also have a lot of exercise built into the fabric of their day-to-day lives. They have strong social connect- connections and they have stress reduction, they have mindfulness, they have some form of spiritual practice or, or mindfulness or contemplation that helps them to, to connect to, attune to a force greater than themselves or some way of dropping the stress and activities of day-to-day life and having a greater sense of inner peace. Each one is different, but they have those things in common. Um, So as far as food is concerned, I think we can see pretty clearly that there's there's an overwhelming body of data telling us that we could use to eat less animal products, but whether it's 0% or 5% or 10% that is optimal for you or me or any other individual, I, I don't weigh in on that necessarily. I think it's important for each person to listen to their own bodies. What we know is that long-term vegans can thrive and do very, very well, um, but that there are a few nutrients that need to be watched out for. I'm talking about omega-3 fatty acids, talking about vitamin B12, uh, and sometimes also iodine and zinc. And, um, And then vitamin D, which is something that everybody needs to pay attention to, especially if you don't live in a warm tropical place and spend a lot of time in the sunshine. So um, these, are, these are some of the basic nutrients that we need to be conscious of and look out for. Um, but and if you can meet those needs effectively, and there are lots of ways to do it, then a predominantly or entirely vegan diet can work for a lot of people, but not necessarily for everybody. So listening to your own body is, is critical. And uh, depending on your ethical sensibilities, your life history, your life stage, um, your environment, Um, different things may be right for you at different times. Um, but I think almost all of us could do to eat a whole lot less animal products and a whole lot more whole plant foods.
0: Yeah. You're not going to get any arguments with me from that. And, uh, and I love just going back a little bit. I love what you said about willpower as well, because that, that's a common theme for me. I often get people saying that they'd love to, they'd love to change their diet or they'd love to try, uh, this or that but they just haven't got the willpower and they wish they had the willpower that I had and I just yesterday I replied to an email about that that you know if I had some sort of mythical level of willpower that allows me to stick to this whole food plant-based diet then then um, you know I would have that willpower would have allowed me to stick to one of the other 100 diets I tried before this one and it's not about willpower it's about it's about uh, changing the way you think about food and changing the way you relate to food and yeah, habits like you talked about so you know digging new grooves for the water to flow through so uh, yeah I, I love that you you, uh, you talked about that aspect of willpower and focusing on habit change instead uh, I also love the way that you focus on uh, on on the way that diet affects the world around us you know we, we buy if you go and buy a new car one of the thing well most people not everyone I guess but most people one of the one of the focuses is on the mileage they get for the fuel that they put in the car. And if you go and buy a new washing machine, you look at how much water it uses and how much electricity it uses. But when we talk about diet, most people don't even consider, don't even give a second thought to, you know, the fossil fuel use of the diet or the pesticides that you mentioned or the water use or the land use or, you know, the food miles or anything like that. So I really uh, I appreciate that you you focus on that do you uh, Do you have any sort of resources or any sort of tips for people that want to reduce their their impact on the world around us um, you know on animals and and the environment
1: sure i mean the the big thing to know is that you know cows impact our climate more than cars do in fact, yeah, uh, according to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, not just cars but the entire transportation sector so Cows are responsible for more net climate impact than all of the cars, trucks, planes, uh, ships, and railroads in the world combined. And so, you know, another another interesting analysis is that from a carbon perspective, um, a uh, vegetarian who drives around in a Hummer is going to have le- less net carbon impact than a um, than a meat eater who drives around in a Prius. And so. You know, Not that we should all go around in Hummers, (laughs) but the point is that if you care about the future of the climate, then one of the most powerful things you can do is to eat less meat, beef in particular, although lamb is also pretty high up there. And uh, then let's talk about water and topsoil because those are pretty big deals for anybody who wants to grow food. So uh, about half the world's people are dependent to some extent on water that comes from the ground. And uh, billions of people, their, their food is dependent on, on this, aquifers and, and wells and so forth. And most of humanity is unsustainable when it comes to groundwater. We are depleting our groundwater faster, faster than it replenishes. I, I live in California, so this is a big deal in our state because about 60% of our state's water comes from aquifers underground. It's not sustainable. What happens when those aquifers run out? Where are we going to get our water then? How will we grow our food then? Uh, it's a big issue and within a generation or two, the chickens are coming home to roost on this one. And so water conservation becomes highly significant. And that's where again, animal products um, are a pretty big problem and plant-based foods are a pretty big solution because it takes you know, about 12 pounds of grain to produce one pound of feedlot beef in the United States today. It takes about four or five pounds of grain or, or soy to produce a pound of chicken. Uh, maybe six or seven to produce a pound of pork. And the rest of that is going into hoof and hide and bone and feathers and and energy the animals use and poop, you know, fecal material, uh, much of which ends up polluting our water supply. So um, the reality is that that irrigating all that cropland takes water. It also depletes topsoil and it's uh, if, if we're concerned about the future of water supplies, that's a pretty big deal to think about. Um, in my state of California, the livestock industry uses more water than all of the municipal uses and government uses combined and business uses. So um, that is to say that all of our swimming pools and golf courses and lawns and toilets and showers we're in a state of 38 million people, uh, do not hold a candle to the amount of water that's being used for animal agriculture and we import most of our meat in the state of California. Every year we export a hundred billion gallons of water to China in the form of alfalfa that they feed to their livestock. More than enough to, um, to, 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 to supply the city of San Francisco. So um, it, it's crazy uh, when you think about it, in you know, a in a water-poor state that we're behaving in that way. Um, but it's not just California, all over the world. Livestock and the production of livestock is a massive consumer of water. And then and then topsoil is another big issue because in order to feed humanity, uh, we have to, you know, use a lot of land and we've cut down forests in order to create that that land. But did you know that uh, it takes a lot more land to produce a meat center diet than a plant-based diet? Again, because of all the cropland that's that it takes to provide feed for the animals and also pasture land takes a lot of room as well. So uh, when you look at that, we are creating a lot of strain on our agricultural lands to produce enough uh, feed to feed all that livestock so we can keep a world of 7 billion fed. And that's why we're resorting to more and more chemicals in our food production system, which can increase yield, but they're not sustainable. So we have increasingly dead soil and mineral depleted soil. And our food isn't carrying the vitality and life force it once did. But here's the really uh, scary part, Andrew. The Sahara Desert now occupies 9% of the Earth's landmass. It's an area bigger than the United States. And it's growing rapidly. And it's growing partly because of climate change and partly because of unsustainable farming practices. Uh, It's a place where the the rainfall is less than a half inch per year throughout the Sahara Desert. It's it's pretty totally inhospitable to life. It was once uh, lush. It was once agricultural. And now it's just wasteland. And um, there are deserts sprouting up all over the world. And as we pump our aquifers dry, um, there are more of them. But um, topsoil is eroding all over the world. And that's one of the major drivers of desertification. We are losing a massive amount of our topsoil and U.N. agencies are predicting that by 2050, humanity will have about half the total net agricultural acreage we did in 1960. So what this means is it it creates even more pressure on what's left to produce maximal yield. And uh, we're going to have to do something about desertification and topsoil erosion if we're going to feed humanity a couple generations downstream from now and uh and the meat industry is central in this because it's pushing us so hard to produce the meat that we're eating because of all the land it takes to provide that grazing land and most of all the 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 cattle feed
0: yeah amazing stats some of the things are mind-blowing like you know most people would uh would be blown away to have learned that uh, cows produce and you know the animal agriculture industry produces so much pollution and is responsible for so much devastation and you got me thinking actually at the moment there are Huge uh, Issues in Australia with drought. There are a lot of farmers struggling with drought
1: And I do yeah. feel sorry for the
0: farmers that are struggling with, with drought and they're you know they're, they're struggling to make ends meet and there's a big um, There's a big charity sort of push for people to donate to to send um, livestock feed to these areas that are struggling with drought yeah. and I can't help but think like oh, the amount of land and time and money spent on growing this feed to send it to the drought areas, what if we were just using that land to grow food that humans could eat instead, grow plant foods that humans could eat, then we wouldn't even need to be farming in those drought affected areas, we wouldn't even need to be using it at all and you know this, this problem would go away. Um, right. So yeah, it's, it's really uh, it's really quite frustrating to, to me. You know, on the one hand, you don't want farmers to be suffering, but on the other hand, we, we've Absolutely. got bigger issues to deal with. So, uh, yeah. Well, we
1: got to take care of our farmers. I mean, they grow our food and they work their butts off and often they're not getting paid terribly well for it. Yeah. Um, so we definitely want to take care of them. But but I think that we want them also to grow foods that are good for us and yeah. not foods that kill us. And. So at the end of the day, that's why consumer matters, farmers will adapt. I mean, if, if they get that there's a high demand for healthy whole plant foods, they'll start to grow them more. And, yes. you know, we've seen this with uh, even non-GMO certified foods where uh, as, peop- as consumer demand for non-GMO certified foods has expanded, farmers are planting more. Ditto with organically growing foods. So, you know, consumers have power. And, and here's the thing that I think is exciting. We can get really depressed about the state of the world and all that's wrong. But when it comes to food, we can turn so much around. We can make such a difference. And I think that's pretty darn thrilling. Um, as bad as things are, that's how much better they can be with a change. And this is one place where we could reverse or turn around our heart disease epidemic, our, our cancer epidemic, our, our diabetes, at least type two diabetes epidemic, our obesity epidemic. Um, we can have healthy brain function to the next generation. I mean, a study came out of Rush University. It found that the average Um, person who ate uh, abundance of uh, vegetables had 11 more years of healthy brain function. Uh, So this means that a lot of the Alzheimer's that we are seeing right now uh, could be stopped just by eating more vegetables. That's exciting, in my opinion, because it means there's room for things to get a lot better, and there's power in our hands to make it happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, massive. And uh, this, this idea of mental health is a big one for me because before you know, I was sure. depressed in a former life. So, um, yeah, clinically depressed and anxious and, you know, life was not in, in good shape. And uh, a little while ago I talked to, I don't know if you know of Dean and Aisha the, the, the research. Yes,
1: and, absolutely. I love them.
0: Yeah, they're great. They're, they're great people and, uh, and I learned a lot from my conversation with them and uh, and the idea that we should we should focus on eating foods that feed our brain properly uh, should be our first focus. And then, you know, if you feed your brain properly, then you're feeding the rest of the body properly. So That's is right. that something you subscribe to as well? Oh,
1: absolutely. I mean, you know, brain is so important. And, you know, I think that the, the good news is that for the most part, the same foods that are good for your brain are good for your heart, are good for your cells, are good for your immune system, and are good for your planet. Yeah. And it isn't often in life that things line up like that. You know, usually you have to make trade-offs. You know, you want to spend time with your wife or your kids or building your business or taking care of yourself. You can't do it all at once, right? But when it comes to, when it comes to food, you can invest in a healthier life, uh, you know, in every domain. Um, yeah. And that's pretty exciting if you ask me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's really an overlooked thing that, you know, we, we focus on our basically everything to the exclusion of our brain. We just want a, a, a thin, fit looking body and, and nobody really seems to think about what the food does to your brain. So I love that you've got that, uh, that aspect to your work and to your book as well. Um, just to take a little step back, you, you briefly touched on GMOs and, uh, and organic food and pesticide use and things like that. And that's, that's something in my life, I have to admit that I'm not perfect at. I, I do try to eat organic when I can. Or when I probably you, you could argue that I always can, I guess. But, uh, you know, what, what sort of tips have you got for me to, to make that work a little bit better? Because, you know, the, the biggest thing for me is, you know, I'm, I'm starting a new business. I'm in a new business here. Money's tight. Uh, I'm trying to make things work and trying to make ends meet. And, uh, and sometimes I, I buy the cheap potatoes instead of the organic ones. So, yeah, um, yeah what sort of tips have you got for me to, to make things work a little bit better in that regard?
1: Well, number one, don't make the perfect the enemy of the good. You know, you do the best you can with what you got. Um, number two, it's better to eat uh, non-organic vegetables than organic donuts any day of the week. <laughs> um, and, you know, we've got a lot of studies that have shown people doing really well uh, with whole plant foods. Most of the whole plant foods eaten in those studies were not growing organically. So... It's important to remember that you can, you can make a radical difference in your life and health outcome whether you go organic or not. And you know, there was a recent study which found that um, you know, cancer deaths were you know, about 5% lower for people who ate organically grown foods which is not revolutionary, but it's pretty significant. We're talking about you know, if, that, if that really pans out on a broad cultural level, we're talking about you know, tens if not hundreds of thousands of lives saved Um, but, uh, you know, I think that when you look at, uh, environmental working groups report on the clean 16 and the dirty dozen, they look at the pesticide contamination levels in foods and they're not all the same. So there are certain foods that are more contaminated and those are more important to go organic and there are others that are less contaminated. So for example, um, anything with a, with a peel that you peel off and don't eat, it's, it's less contaminated. Whether we're talking about avocado or watermelon or mango or papaya or, you know, um, anything where you peel it off. And frankly, even cabbage, if you take off the outer leaf or two or onions. Um, but when you eat the outside, then, then that's where it becomes more of a concern. And, um, you know, potatoes, um, you mentioned potatoes, they grow underground and they are actually in the dirty dozen. Um, So, you know, if you're gonna eat potatoes, then um, if you can go organic, that's the best, you know, Um, because they do tend to be a little more contaminated. Also strawberries and raspberries and tomatoes um, can be problematic. Um, And, you know, apples actually are pretty high up there in the dirty dozen as well. Um, But the the clean 16 are almost all things where you don't eat the peel. So, you know, if you're gonna eat avocados, doesn't matter as much, you know. So that, that can be helpful because it doesn't have to be everything. Um, And then the other uh, thing to keep in mind again is um, that you have to make trade-offs in life sometimes between, for example, time, budget, taste, you know, what's easy and convenient. And you kind of put all that together and you you find your own formula for your values. For example, if you don't care about um, taste, but you care about time and health primarily and budget, then you're going to base your diet around things like legumes and quinoa and cabbage and carrots. And you can eat a lot of that stuff. And it's pretty affordable and um, pretty nutritious and pretty easy. It doesn't take a lot of time to cook up a pot of beans or a pot of quinoa or steam a cabbage. I've or got a pot of rice, actually. Raw, right? Can, but some people that. would. Yeah. Some people find that kind of boring after a while, right? And then yeah, yeah. they want a little more variety and taste. So then you spend a little more time in the kitchen. You get more creative. You make your nut loaves. You make your chia porridge you make your banana ice cream you make all kinds of yummy stuff that takes a little bit more time and investment and energy um and then you can share it with friends and loved ones who uh, might enjoy that you put a little time into it and didn't just shove some you know plain beans in front of them you know (laughs) Um, um so everyone has to find their own value set and uh and then you know if you're somebody who isn't as concerned about health and you're more interested in in um you know time efficiency and taste then maybe you're okay cooking with some oil or adding some sweetener to your food but if you're really serious about wanting to be healthy and that's your priority then you might draw a sharper line and sodium is another place where you know yeah there's there's probably about thirty thousand deaths a year from people eating too much sodium maybe more um but that doesn't mean it's going to kill you um and the reality is that for a lot of people, adding some salt to their food makes it taste better. So you got to kind of figure out what works for you. And often it's about going in stages. Often it's about starting where you are and, and doing the best you can with what you got, one step at a time. It's, you know, building momentum is the key. Yeah. And every time you build a new healthy habit, you kind of can layer them one after the other. And that's one of the things I focus on in my book is how you can layer the habits. So, you know, first you clear out the worst offenders, then you start adding the good stuff you look at breakfast, then you look at lunch, kind of find, find some new recipes you can add to your starting rotation that, that work well. Uh, you know, most of us only have, truth be told, a handful of things we make really regularly. And uh, so if you can make your starting rotation healthier, one recipe at a time, find something you love that you can memorize so you don't have to look at a recipe book and you know you have all the ingredients on hand. It gets, it gets habitual, it gets rote. And at the end of the day, it's, it's what we do when we're not paying attention and when we're not trying that usually charts our destiny more than what we do when we're trying really hard and paying a lot of attention.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I love that, what you mentioned about the, the starting rotation of recipes because it really, I've got, I pretty much eat the same breakfast every day. Most days I eat similar lunch and then maybe I vary the dinners a little bit, but there's probably like, I don't know, five things that I make regularly. And that's that, right exactly you know, Every now and then you you do something a little bit different and experiment a bit but yeah i think that's important that's a really good thing and um yeah, yeah i but you're,
1: you're kind of extreme on this you ate nothing but potatoes
0: for a year so we know we know you're uh before that i was i was a real foodie and i would try to make different things all day like every meal i would try to make it a you know a a, a gastronomic experience and yeah uh, Totally changed my ways now just to be just to be happy with simplicity and just to you know I've got this saying make your food boring and your life interesting and it, you know it's not really about making your food boring but it's just about it's really more about accepting that um that you know you can you can repeat certain foods and you don't have to like go uh over the top to make every meal a gourmet experience and you can you can try to you know, instead of... Sometimes you don't need to eat something interesting. You just need to do something interesting instead. And, yeah. Uh, and that, that can be a helpful attitude too, I think. Sure. Uh, I
1: mean, you know, Thoreau said, I make myself rich by making my wants few. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, some, sometimes... Um, you know, and there's another saying that, you know, I, I, see, I, I, I see new things by seeing the world with new eyes. Um, yeah. Sometimes we, we can... Um, bring more consciousness, more love, more attention to our food and our actual experience of it changes. For example, if you chew something 20 or 30 times, you may actually find that it sweetens in your mouth, that, 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 that it changes. And that kind of mindfulness, that kind of present relationship with food can really change the culinary experience. And we live in a society where we have, we have glorified consumerism and turn food into gluttony in many cases. And unfortunately, when we do that, we, we, we come to, we fall prey to the myth that our happiness and our pleasure comes from something outside of ourselves. And um, I think that in reality, we can have more pleasure and more happiness to also not, obviously it matters what you interact with, but it also matters what you bring to the relationship. So, you know, when I'm spending time with my wife, I don't just want her to be the wife i want i want to be the husband that she deserves and when i'm focused on showing up with my heart open and my love then gosh guess what i get more love coming my way you know and i think that when we love foods that love us back and when we choose to invest in our relationship with food not just as a commodity but also as a community then something richer happens you know i, I would rather eat simple food with a clean conscience and a healthy cardiovascular system than gourmet fancy food that clogs up my arteries, damages my sexual function, damages my brain, so I don't remember things clearly, puts me in brain fog, and sets me up for a life of misery. And, uh, you know, 31 flavors of ice cream can bring a lot of pleasure and a lot of smiles to a lot of people. But, you know, 31 steps to health will bring a lot more pleasure and a lot more smiles in the long run. And uh, so, th- you know, that, that's what I'm standing for and, and passionate about. And I, I I'm all about pleasure. I just, I just want healthy pleasures that, that come from healthy food.
0: Yeah. And long-term pleasure. I, I don't think, I don't think anyone would argue that, you know, that you're not going to have a nice time eating 31 flavors of ice cream. Of course you are. It's going to be a great experience. Right. You're going to enjoy it, but it's, it's instant gratification and it, it wears off very quickly and gets replaced by guilt, remorse, shame, and, and um, feelings of, you know, gaining weight and your depression and all of these sorts of things that come with eating ice cream. You know that that short-term experience of yeah, it's fun, it's great, but what happens next is you know that's what people tend to lose sight of. That how you're going to be feeling in yeah. minutes time after you finish that bowl of ice cream. You don't really think about that. And uh, yeah, it's once we can once we can take a long-term view to to the way we eat, it sort of changes the way we think about it. I think. Um, now, I love, yeah, back to the mental health side of things. We've talked about how food can affect mental health, but uh, this is another area of my life that I've probably got to get better at. But you talk about, um, you know, the neuroscience behind, uh, behind gratitude. So, uh, yeah, can we talk a little bit more about that? Just this simple act of being grateful. How can that, that change the way we live and interact with the world?
1: Well, it's interesting. I used to think that, grateful people were happier because the people who were grateful had more to be grateful for. And um, it it turns out that um, gratitude actually makes things get better. And it doesn't just make them seem better. I also thought maybe people who have a glass half full and a glass half empty, well, gratitude is about focusing on the half full side of the glass. When it comes to your health and your happiness, Gratitude actually makes the glass get fuller, not just Mm -hmm. experientially, but but literally. It it is good for your nervous system. It's good for your cardiovascular system. It's good for your relationships, which in turn is good for every aspect of your health. Um, People who um, in studies who take uh, five minutes a day to write down three things they're grateful for at the end of the day, statistically, um, have better health outcomes, better survivability of their marriages more peace um and um more wellness so i think this is fascinating and um there's this whole neuroscience of gratitude and how gratitude is good for you that that i find really exciting Um, so i love to give thanks and uh honestly i i often I, i start the day with a prayer you know whatever your religious perspective is i think having some sense of intention or some sense of invitation to life to work with you, to conspire with you, to create something beautiful is an awesome way to start the day. And I like to finish the day with gratitude. When I'm lying there in bed before I go to sleep, I just think of a few things I'm grateful for. Sometimes it's as simple as that I survived and I made it to bedtime, you know, without (laughs) my kids killing each other. Sometimes I'm grateful that, you know, I got a couple dishes done before all hell broke loose. But I'm so grateful that I didn't do the dishes because I chose to go to bed on time. You know, like you can find something right. It doesn't have to be big and lofty. It's not because you had to, you didn't have to save the world today or make a million dollars. Um, there's, there's so much we can give thanks for simple things. You know, I'm grateful that, that I, you know, didn't stub my toe this time on my way to bed. Like I did the last three nights, you know, whatever it is. Right. And, uh, and when you find those things though, it just anchors you in a sense of peace and a sense of enoughness and sufficiency and satisfaction. And we live in a world where many of us have been commercialized uh, to believe that we are somehow lacking and we need to buy stuff to be happy. And I think that's a lie that doesn't just drain our bank accounts, but I think it drains our spirits. So um, I believe in sufficiency in recognizing what we have and that it's enough. You know, we, I, I believe that each of us is at some level given the resources we need to do we're here, what we're here for. And at the very least, I think we are given the resources we need to do the best we can, right? We all have that opportunity to do the best we can with what we've got. And to me, there's a lot of satisfaction that comes from that. It's like, what is mine to do? What is mine to give? What is mine to contribute? What is mine to, how, how can I serve? And I want to play my part. I, I used to want to save the world. And don't get me wrong, I'd still be happy to. And if you put, you put a superhero cape on me, I'll be glad to oblige. But, but at this point, I am more interested in how I can do my part, how I can love the world, how I can make the world a little more beautiful. And I, I no longer think it's mine to like save it. I think it's mine to do my part. And yeah. thankfully, I'm not the only one thinking that way. A Whole lot of us are doing our part. And together, we are shifting the course of history
0: yeah amazing I, I love uh the the gratitude side of things going to get back to that there was you know i've tried doing this before and i always sort of get stuck on trying to come up with like you know big deep overly emotional sort of things that i'm i'm grateful for and it gets tiring you know <laughs> yes absolutely it's, it's good to think about those things but and you know, I love that you can also take like a, a minimalist sort of approach to your gratitude practice. If, if that's what you feel like in that moment. So yeah, yeah. I'm going I'm to try again with this <laughs> and try, <laughs> try and try and be thankful that, uh, that I, I went to bed on time instead of washing the dishes and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Um, yeah that, that's helpful. Thank you. Um, now you, uh, I've read that you are gonna, you're going to make some donations uh, that go with every book sold. So can you tell us? Oh, that? yeah, absolutely.
1: I, so so I, um, I, I decided that I, I believe in giving back and contributing to building a better world. So for every copy of 31 Day Food Revolution that's that sold, every new copy, um, I'm donating to Trees for the Future, enabling them to plant an organic fruit or nut tree in a low-income community.
0: Oh, and wow. so okay.
1: you can you can help feed the hungry and the places that need it most. You know, organic, wholesome food um, with every purchase. And those trees will keep on giving and bearing fruit for hopefully generations to come. That's and such a and, great uh, idea.
0: I've yeah. thought so many times in the last few years of just walking around parks and gardens just around the neighborhood. That wouldn't it be great if all of these trees that were here, like they're all beautiful trees, but wouldn't it be great if they all had fruit on them that we could just while walking around the park and right I didn't I didn't know I had no idea that there were people that were actually making that happen that's so great yeah it sure is yeah cool so we're when we're almost out of time here and uh and by coincidence the people that are fixing the internet that's broken that just turned up outside my window it's all happening here today (laughs) (laughs) nice (laughs) but so obviously this is you know, you've, you've, achieved a lot. You've, the food revolution network's huge. We didn't even get to talk about the, the yes organization that you did. We can maybe talk about that another time, but, uh, but so what's, what's next? Obviously this book is your big thing at the moment, but where do you see this, this heading the big picture for, for you?
1: Well, I mean, I want to see a healthy ethical sustainable food for everyone who eats. So that's, that's where I'm heading towards, you know? Um, and that's, that's my passion. Um, I believe that in a toxic food culture, it's up to each of us to become everyday revolutionaries, that the status quo leads to sickness and, you know, the standard American diet leads to the standard American diseases. Um, But I also believe that we can create a change and make the world a better place and make our lives a better place. And I want to see that happen, not just for the elite few, not just for the people privileged enough to listen to podcasts and, And join and even read books like like mine. I want to see this reach truly the masses. And I think the way we get there is that every one of us who does get informed puts what we're learning into action and we change the marketplace. And, you know, we create a demand for healthy food and food that's grown sustainably. And as we do so, you know, the whole world changes. So um, that's my mission. That's my passion. Of course, I want to see government policy back it up. I want to see media advocating for positive change. I want to see you know, go- doctors learning about nutrition in medical school. Um, I want to see the food industry taking some responsibility and, and doing what it can to get rid of the junk and the processed chemicals and the added sugars and start treating food like the foundation of health that it is. Um, and I want to see everyday folks empowered. I want to see educational systems teaching our kids about healthy food. I want to see chefs learning about healthy food and culinary school. I think that just about every nation, every walk of life, we all have a part to play. We all have a contribution we can make because you know we all eat. And so um, my interest is in helping us recognize the significance of food as a foundational tool for our health and our planet and then do something about it, whatever it is. You know, yeah. I think there are more than seven billion parts to play in the food revolution for the seven billion people in the world. We've all got something we can do. So the question is, What can you do? And let's get it going.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that idea of the everyday revolutionary that you mentioned is, is a really important one. I think is not, not everyone can be an ocean Robbins with a 500,000 member food revolution network that can really change things on a, on a big sort of scale, but everyone can, everyone does have, you know, a five person network that they can work on and, and everyone, and everyone can start with themselves and, you know, make a change for yourself and watch a ripple effect happen. And, you know, everyone has an ability to make an impact of some kind. So for the people that are listening and they're, and they're feeling inspired and they want to start becoming an everyday revolutionary, what, what do you think is one, one thing that these people could maybe focus on to, to start changing?
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, so if you want to be an everyday revolutionary, the, the first thing is to have a vision. What do you want? And then take an honest assessment of where you are. And then you see a gap usually. And that gap is years to traverse. Um, and so essentially, you know, any, any GPS, any, any map app, it has you know, basically two pieces of information it needs to function. It needs to know where you are. And it needs to know where you're going. And then it needs to be able to chart out a map to get from point A to point B. So it's the same with with our choices. If you want to bridge the gap, if you want to get somewhere new, you're going to have to take some actions to get there. It starts with having your vision, letting yourself feel it. What is it like? What, what motivates you? What inspires you? Maybe you want to fit in some skinny jeans. Maybe you want to be able to dance at your grandkids' wedding. Maybe, maybe you want to you know have more mental clarity or, or sleep less or sleep more. Maybe you want to have better sexual function and more pleasure in your body and in your life. Whatever it is, you know, you, you find your motivation and um, and then you, you start taking action. And, you know, my book is full of action steps. There are, you know, over 90 of them in the book for, you know, three for every chapter. Um, There are so many things you can do. You can get rid of the three worst offenders in your kitchen. You can put some healthy stuff on your shopping list and then figure out, find some new recipes that are based around whole plant foods, you know, that utilize nuts or vegetables that, that you can enjoy. Bring in fermented foods, probiotics are awesome. You know, there, there, are, there are many wonderful foods in this world, like thousands of them. So make them part of your life, let them be your friend. Um, and you can also build your social network. So you have allies and, and, and champions for what you believe find kindred spirits who are also on a healthy eating path and and join with them, bond with them, support them, exercise with people you love, you know, create, create patterns and relationships that empower who you are and what you love and what you're alive for. Perfect.
0: Awesome way to finish off uh, this interview. So thanks so much for for chatting with me and and with my listeners before you go, uh, where can people find out more about you and about your book and uh, and about everything well my book's
1: available in local bookstores so you know go to your local bookstore and get a copy and that's the best way you know i'll tell you what as a food revolutionary you help seed it because then the bookstores are like oh people want this book and they go and buy it and but then they get more copies and they stock it for their their other customers um but you can also buy it of course online you can go to 31dayfoodrevolution.com and get it from our website um so that's one resource um and ultimately you are you know about it now you've you've been listening to me and andrew you know what we're up to so uh, now it's all about putting it into action so you are part of the food revolution every time you choose real food over processed junk every time you bring healthy food to a party or a gathering every time you go to a healthy restaurant every time you go to a farmers market or support a community supported agriculture program or buy something organic or choose something green that isn't green jelly beans. You know, uh, every time you, you take a stand for your life, you, you put your stake in the ground or your, your fork in the ground for, for the life and the health that you deserve, you're stepping forward. So kudos to you. Congratulations. And let's keep the momentum going. And, you know, if my book can be of support to you in that path, fabulous. That's why I wrote it. That's why I do this work. Um, but the bottom line is get the resources you need so you can succeed because your life depends on it. And frankly, a lot of lives depend on it.
0: All right, perfect. Uh, well, thanks again for, for being with us. Thanks for inspiring us. Thanks for living the life you do and doing the things you do and, uh, and working to change the world uh, one, one uh, everyday revolutionary at a time. So uh, keep up the good work. Good luck with the new book. And, uh, and yeah, let's, let's talk again sometime because there's so much we didn't cover. <laughs> Absolutely. And we will. All right. All right. Love your work and, uh, and sputter. up. <laughs> Thank you. What a guy! What an amazing story! I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. He's a he's a cool dude, no doubt about it. Creating, uh, he's a revolutionary, creating everyday revolutionaries, and uh, and you know the ripple effects are huge with this guy. So, uh, yeah, go! Don't forget to go to oceanrobbins.com. Check him out there. Buy his book, uh, and and give this guy some support. He needs it, and he deserves it. And, uh, and if we're gonna change the planet, change ourselves, then uh, we're gonna to have to get to work and start now. All right, also don't forget to go to spudfit.com. Uh, I've recently launched new individual personal coaching as well as a uh, small group coaching to go with the SpudFit Academy that I've always been doing. Uh, so go to spudfit.com uh, .com and click on the get started with SpudFit button at the top to find out more information about all that. Uh, I really wanna work with some uh, motivated and dedicated people who really want to change their lives. So, uh, come along and and do that with me. Uh, before I go, thanks to Mandy van Zanen my wife for the music for this. She recorded it all herself. It's all her own voice, uh, in different tracks recorded on her iPad. She's, she's amazing. Far more talented than me. Go and check her out at mandyvanzannen.com. All right. Thanks everyone. Uh, I love you all. And thanks for joining me. And, uh, Keep in touch. Spot up, everyone.